Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Senior Pastor Ken Werlein and was recorded on Christmas Eve, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. brilliant light pierced the darkness on that first Christmas night. It wasn't the immense star so bright that compelled experts of the night sky to follow it. It wasn't even the multitude of angelic messengers with a light so intense, so radiant, it frightened brave shepherds to fall to their knees. No, this light was more enduring than any star, brighter than a host of angels. This light was a baby. Ten fingers and ten wrinkly toes, brand new light, finding shelter in a barn full of animal smells and sounds. This little boy, the miracle that had been promised, was Jesus. A baby, a savior, Emmanuel God with us. Jesus' light was bright enough to shine into every dark place, a light that would seek and save every one of us. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, a light that shines in the heavens and in the depths, a light that will pierce the bleakest night and the deepest darkness to find you, a light that brings calm to the most anxious thoughts, peace to the most troubled heart, and joy to the most lonely soul. There is a light that shines brightly in the darkness, and his name is Jesus, light of the world. Amen to that. Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad that you're here, whether you're in this room, whether you're in the East Room, whether you're online somewhere else, whether you're a long timer, whether you're a first timer, however it is that you're here, we're really glad that you're here. So I'll tell you a story of a mentor of mine, pastor, who tells of a situation that happened years ago at a church he was pastoring in Summit, New Jersey. He says that on that church in that town, everybody would come early for the Christmas Eve services and the place would pack out. And subsequently, there was a man who by himself came at the very end. He was six months sober in his recovery from alcohol. And it's his first time without his family at church since things had fallen apart. So he slipped in at the end and sat in the back. But waiting for the service to start, he couldn't help but observe all of these families sitting around him. And it just felt so discouraging to him that he stood up and he just walked straight back out into the atrium of the church where he ran into my mentor, Pastor Tom who was walking in to start the service. And Tom said, Jim, Merry Christmas. Where are you going so quickly? He says, I'm going for a drink. I got to get out of here. Tom, knowing of his recovery and his six months of progress, said, no, 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 you can't do that. He says, where's your sponsor? He says, my sponsor's in Minnesota. It's, it's Christmas Eve and there's nobody who can help me. 
He said, I came here tonight looking for some hope. But I look around and I see all these families and it just reminds me what a mess of my life I've made. And if I hadn't messed up my life, I'd be sitting here with my wife and my children as well. I got to go. Tom said, okay, I get it. But don't go. Would you give me 10 minutes? Just sit here in the atrium for 10 minutes. He agreed. As Tom was walking in to start the service, he breathed a prayer. God, help me to know what to do with 10 minutes to help him. And as he was walking up to welcome the uh, congregation, the name of Bill Wilson just shot across his mind. Bill Wilson was the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. So after he welcomed everybody for Christmas Eve, he said, and there's one other announcement. If any of you are friends of Bill W., and if you are, you, you would know what that means. Would you be willing to just slip out into the atrium where I have a friend who is in desperate need of a spark of hope? He says, men, women, college students begin to stand up and begin to slip out in the atrium. He says, minutes later, I was preaching on the light of the world who had come into this world while nine or 10 people had come into the atrium to bring light and hope to that man who so desperately needed it. All of us know what it feels like to be in darkness and to need the spark of hope. You felt that if you've struggled with addiction yourself, or maybe if you have a loved one who has and they're not struggling hard enough and making progress, you know that sense of darkness. Or if you're in between jobs, you know what's not back there anymore, but you don't know what's out here anymore, and it can feel very dark and very discouraging. Or you know the feeling of darkness even if you're in a job, but it's not the job that you thought it was going to be, and everything about it has been disappointing. You know what it feels like to be in darkness and to need a spark of hope when the coach said, yeah, we're not going to choose you. We're going this direction with this guy instead. You know what it feels like to be in darkness when your friend gets a letter of acceptance from the college that you too wanted to go to and they send you a letter of rejection. You know what it feels like to, to walk in darkness if you've had the experience of, of losing a spouse or a parent or a child maybe even since last Christmas. And ever since that chair at the table is empty and you've felt like you're just walking around, feeling your way around a dark room. And you know what the feeling of darkness is in your life if you had ever had a spouse that said, I want a divorce, I don't love you anymore. This kind of darkness that I'm describing is, it's not even something that you see so much as it's something that you feel. And I haven't even touched on things that we read about every day like homicides and suicides and terror and schools and Walmarts and movie theaters and all of these kind of darknesses as well. But all of this to say, there's just a lot of darkness in the world and that's where we have to start tonight. But we also have to realize this is nothing new. This is a human predicament that's been with us nearly since the very beginning when sin and suffering and evil came into the world. 
In fact, the Bible speaks of darkness somewhere around 200 times, usually always metaphorically talking about life without God, life separated from God, life without the love of God. This is the human predicament of darkness. In fact, there's a man called Isaiah who lived about 700 years before Christ. He wrote about darkness as well. But he was a prophet and he prophesied one day, one day, God is going to send us a savior who's going to rescue us from this darkness. He wrote, in that time, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The only problem was, it was 700 years away. And that's a lot of waiting. And people had waited and waited and waited. And many of God's people had grown discouraged and, and even were giving up because God seemed so far away and so distant and so silent. Until one night, all of that changed. Isaiah's prediction started to finally happen. Like fireworks in the sky, pow, pow, pow. Luke's account tells us there was a heavenly host of angels above and they were singing, don't be afraid. Good news, great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you, it's Christ the Lord. And that wasn't just the only thing that was happening, that was happening in the skies of Judea. And then Matthew's account tells us that over in the east, somewhere maybe around modern day Iraq, there was lights happening there as well. In fact, one kind of light that seemed like a new sort of star that the magi or the wise men in the east caught wind of. And, and they're looking at that and they're astrologers and it's, they sensed it was beckoning them follow. So they followed that star until it brought them to the land we call holy, to the Savior we know as Jesus. And so there was lights happening hundreds of years before there was a printing press. There's no media there whatsoever, but God was seeing fit to make the announcement himself. He was doing just fine at it. So why the lights here? Why the lights there? Oh, yet another writer tells us, John, who was a close friend of Jesus as well. He says, oh, that's easy. It's because the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And that newborn savior, Jesus, would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And sure enough, some 30 years later, he would say, indeed, I am the light of the world, which is a staggering thing for anybody to say. As a matter of fact, no other major world religious leader ever dared to say that. Muhammad didn't say, I'm the light of the world. Buddha didn't say, I'm the light of the world. Abraham, Moses, none of them would say that. And if you wonder, why didn't they say that? Why don't you say it yourself? And see how it goes. For example, if you're married and you're ever having a little tiff with your spouse, you just a little disagreement, and what if you just said, you know, honey, here's the thing. We don't need to argue about this anymore. Because... 
I'm the light of the world. See how that goes, okay? Or if you're single and you're not married yet, how about you update your profile for your social media or your dating app and say, single, loves music, enjoys fine restaurants, and one more thing, I am the light of the world. And see how many dates that gets you. See, this is why nobody says that, and it's a staggering thing that Jesus would say it, but they didn't call him crazy. In fact, they came nearer to him, and they listened to them and they were intrigued by him and they walked with him and journeyed and listened and he touched them and he healed them and they concluded he's not crazy nor is he lying he can back up every single thing he talks about in fact so many agreed about this that they ended up splitting the history of time right down the middle into bc and ad before the current era the current era based on this man's life who said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This means something significant. And that's what I want to talk about in our remaining few minutes. I think it means at least three things for us. The first one, if you're a note taker, is this. If you're living apart from Christ, you're going to continue walking in darkness Not just the darkness out there, not just the darkness that surrounds us, but the darkness that gets into us. And that's the hard part. We don't like to acknowledge this, but all of us have been personally plagued by this twisted, evil, awful force of sin that comes into us. Romans tells us in chapter three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. And that's why though all of us can be on our best behavior, it doesn't take much for us to give in to our inner urges to be selfish and lustful and ornery and hateful and deceptive and hurtful and and even prideful. In fact, I saw some of that in myself, I don't know, about a week ago. I was sort of zipping by the family one evening while they were watching a movie and Suzanne kind of came behind me. She said, hey, Ken, are you okay? I just feel like we're a little out of sync and you're kind of doing your own thing. You seem all edgy and angsted up. And are, are you angry? And I said, yes, sweetheart. I am not angry, but I, I, I realized that I... I am sort of being distant from everybody and sort of to myself. And I really appreciate your pointing out that character flaw in me. (laughs) No, I did not say that. (laughs) I should have said that, but I didn't say that. Instead, Instead, I'll tell you what I said. I said, what? No, I'm fine. There's no problems. I'm not angry. Everything's normal. In fact, I'm happy. (laughs) And right then, a little voice inside of me said, maybe you should just admit. Actually, you know what? I'm feeling that normal end-of-year stress that you just have running a church, and I still got to write my Christmas Eve sermon, and, and I'm sorry that all that has spilled over to you, and would you forgive me? And I said back to that little voice, nah, 
I don't like that one. What else you got? And, and see, that's what I'm illustrating is this, this darkness can get into all of us, which is precisely what the enemy of our souls wants for each of us. He wants to bait us in to darkness and hold us there because sin continues to keep us separated from each other and it keeps us separated from God as well. In fact, another one of, Peter, of Jesus' disciples, Peter, would say, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And so he's always trying to bait the trap for us to keep us lured into and entangled into darkness. When it happens, it shouldn't surprise us. There's an enemy spiritually of our souls who's always trying to draw us there setting his traps. Sort of like when Suzanne and I were newlyweds years ago, and one morning we went out to the pantry in, in our kitchen, and a box of cereal was knocked over, and there was flakes all over the floor. And she said, have you been sleep eating? And I said, I don't think so. And, and if I had, I don't think I'd have been this messy. Well, the next morning we went to the pantry and there was a bag of flour that was all scratched open and flowers all over the floor. And it was at that point we knew, in this house, we have a mouse. Everybody say, ew. Ew. All the kids, come on, really give it to me. Ew, yeah. All right. So what to do with a mouse? I asked a friend, what do you do when you have a mouse? He said, you get a trap. He said, the ones I really like are these, it's, it's sort of sticky pads. They're real gummy and gooey. And, and what you do is you just get a couple of those and, and, and put some, some peanut butter on them and just slide them under the cabinets. And so I did the whole thing like he told me to do and turned off the lights and we went to bed. And sometime in the night, I, I decided to get up and go down and get some ice water. And, and, and uh, it was all quiet in the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Actually, our mouse had been stirring, and I turned on the little light to see, and there he was. And I found myself thinking, keep the change, you filthy animal. And I tell you that because that's exactly what the enemy of our souls wants to do to you, and you, and me. He's always working to bait the trap to lure us into and detain us within the darkness of sin. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the first thing is, apart from Christ, you're going to be walking in darkness. Second thing he says, I think that he's telling us in all of these verses that I've lifted out for you, through Christ you can have the light of life through Jesus Christ. Scientists tell us, this is interesting, that if the sun just flamed out and was gone, that by tonight it would be zero degrees. And sometime in the next several days or weeks or months, I forget, things would settle at minus 400 degrees. 
Now that is cold. And photosynthesis would stop because the plants would all die and there's no oxygen coming, which would be very inconvenient for those of us who like to breathe. And vitamin A and vitamin D that our bones need that comes from the sun, that would wither up and they say our bones would start to crumble inside of our bodies. And, and so if there was no sun overhead, you see, there would be no more life. And if that's true physically, what I want us to realize is it's even more true spiritually. Just as the sun overhead brings life to us physically, the son of God brings us life spiritually. Jesus, the light of the world, brings life to the soul. So here's the trivia question. Do you remember what the first thing in the Bible that God says is? I'll give you a hint, Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light. Now, I bet if you're like I was for any number of years, when you've pictured that in your mind, you tend to think, let there be light. And then he created the sun. And if that's what you thought, you would be wrong. Because you see, he didn't create the sun or the moon in the whole story till day four, which begs the question, Well, then what was the light? Ah, for that, you have to go to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 22, verse 5, where it says, in the very end, the sun will be gone. There'll be no more night. But they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. He's saying, I am the ultimate light. And wherever my light is cast, nothing decays, nothing dies. And so that means, as Tim Keller uh, points out, the sun is merely sort of like a symbol, the sun overhead, a symbol of the ultimate sun, Jesus Christ, who brings life to our souls. And as John also wrote, he who has the sun has life. So without Christ in your life, you can have physical life. But without Christ, you'll never have true life, true life spiritually. I read recently a now somewhat dated story of a lady named Rose Crawford. Apparently, she was blind for 50 years. And then she had the opportunity for surgery at a hospital in Ontario. And when they took the bandages off of her eyes, she began to cry and she just wept and wept before, because for the first time she was looking at a, at a dazzling world that she had always envisioned but just could never quite see. But there's a sort of sad twist to the story and that, that part of the story is that apparently the surgical procedure that she had had been developed 20 years earlier. She just didn't know, and nobody else knew that told her. Which means she had gone for the last 20 of her 50 years blind unnecessarily. And I mention this to you because my concern is that spiritually speaking, not so much physically speaking maybe, but spiritually speaking, I think there's a lot of people in our community, in our city, in our nation, in our world, and maybe even here in our midst right now, and you're going through life seeing fine physically, but spiritually your eyes haven't been opened to the light of Christ yet. And what's even sadder is that any number of people are like, well, I guess this is as good as life can get. And that's not the case at all. 
There's a light that gives spiritual life and his name is Jesus. And the message of Christmas is that our great God could have so easily looked down upon our world of darkness and say, you all are just a great double A train wreck. You're nothing like what I intended. And he could have just wadded us up and thrown us away and said, I think I'll just try again in another galaxy with some new people and see if they can't get it right. But that's not what he did. Instead, he said, I love you so much so that I'm going to come nearer to you. I'm going to come closer. In fact, I'm just going to become one of you. And he put on flesh and blood was born into a Middle Eastern manger so that he could live for those 33 years a life of sinless perfection that none of us could live so that he could die the death of punishment that you and I deserve. Stepping in as our substitute, as our replacement, bearing the price for your sin and for my sin. He takes the hit on the cross so that after they laid him in the tomb on the third day, that first Easter, he could be raised to life. And in the same way that he was raised to life, he says, if you'll tether yourself to me, if you'll link yourself to me by faith, I'll infuse you with life as well, abundant now and everlasting eternally. This is the good news of Christmas, that he would send a savior into our world, his only son, to rescue us from this world of darkness. And he says, I want to come into your life, into your world. And that's the third and final thing. Jesus Christ could light your world. Not just the world, not just the light of the world, but the light of your world. He says, I know everything that you've ever done, the good and the bad and the ugly. Even though you wish I hadn't seen any of it, I've seen it all. And even though you deserve so much worse, I'm going to give you so much better than you ever deserved. And that's what we call grace. He says, but you have to choose to receive that. Would you take me and my grace into your heart and let me by the power of my Holy Spirit come into you? and reside inside of you. Because I'm not gonna pluck you out of this dark world, at least not yet. Instead, I'm gonna come into this dark world and I'll journey with you personally through the darkness. That's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. And when we have him with us, we have the confidence that then when we pass through the waters, he'll be with us. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. And that's good news because all of us have to go through various fires and trials and pain and suffering in this life. But when you have Christ in your life, it means that those circumstances no longer define you. Oh, they're real and they're bad and they're painful, but they don't define you. Because he says, I have promised to be with you always. 
And so I will continue to cause those streams of living water to bubble up within you and fill you with the likes of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and hope and and forgiveness and things that you couldn't conjure up yourself if, if you're trying from the outside in, but I'll come from the inside out and I'll supply those things for you in ways that you couldn't even understand. It's just my power, my spirit, my grace residing inside of you. And that's good news for us. And I know it's true because I've seen him do it in so many people's lives over the years. And I've seen him do it in my life as well. Oh, I still slip back into darkness as I illustrated a little while ago. But I don't build a condo there. (laughs) And neither should you. Because the light of Jesus is so much better. Let's get to the light, Jesus. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what all of us need. Especially when the outcomes in our life don't end with the H-E-A. The happily ever after that many times we wish. You could ask a guy named Isaac about that. The Isaac I'm talking about was uh, somebody who lived in the 1800s. His name was Isaac Watts. He was one of the greatest uh, songwriters in the 1800s. He, he cranked out about 750 of them and, and he had groupies, fans that just loved him and sent him mail and, and all those sorts of things. And there was one lady in particular, Elizabeth Singer, who sent him a letter and that one was a different sort of letter and he began to correspond with her. And over time they began to, to uh, develop an interest and, and even fall in love with each other and declare that love and decide that they're going to get married to each other. But there was just one little thing they had never met in person. In fact, they'd never even seen each other um, because there was no FaceTime 200 years ago. And so they longed for the day when they would finally get to meet each other. And that day would finally come when they were rushing to meet each other. And she, seeing him, lurched to a stop because the magisterial words with which he could write songs so completely his stature was dwarfed by them. He was only five feet tall. And apparently he had an oversized head and a hooked nose and small eyes and pale skin. And the saddest thing is after seeing him, she just, she lost interest. And she turned and left. And they never married. And as you can imagine, he was heart broken but he wasn't without hope he wasn't without peace in fact he had the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts in Christ Jesus because you see this man the songs that he wrote were Christian songs they were they were what we call hymns and the poetry that he could do was was truly magnificent And he had such a deep well to draw on in his understanding of God's word and his understanding of God's love and his understanding of God's workings in his life that even though he was devastated emotionally, he wasn't without hope. And and he was able to lean back on those full reservoirs that came with his strong faith. And shortly after 
this whole painful situation with Elizabeth Singer, he pinned the words to a song, and you know the song. In fact, we sang the song this evening, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. He wrote those in the midst of the pain. How could he do that? Ah, because the light of the world had lit the spark inside his soul. And even though on the outside it was so painful, on the inside there was still a fire burning. He didn't find a way to escape from the pain. No, no, no. He had just swung open the doors of his heart completely to Jesus, the light of the world who was filling him up from the inside out in spite of the pain. And that's what Jesus can do for you, for all of us. In the same song, Watts would go on and write, let every heart prepare him room. And I wonder, have you prepared your heart for him room? Have you opened up your, your heart to Jesus Christ? That's what he wants, is to come into your life and to transform you from the inside out. See, the bad news is without Christ, you will continue to walk in darkness. And when the pain comes in life, and it always comes when the darkness uh, it becomes particularly pronounced, and it always does, sooner or later in all of our lives, we have to go through these seasons, whether it's relationally or with your health or with your wealth or with your comfort, you will be lacking in hope. In fact, you'll be headed towards a hopeless end without Christ but not with the spirit of Christ living inside of you because then you'll be able to lean back on those resources that he's supplying you with from the inside out and reminding you that no matter what you're going through, he's saying, I am going to be with you always. That still holds and you can look forward to the day when one day you will be with me where your eternal riches are still in safe keeping I guess you could say for the Christian you still have the pain but you're not headed for a hopeless end you're headed for endless hope and that's what I want for you that you might really come to know Christ personally I just have a sneaking suspicion that some of you are like a person I was talking to after one of the other services she said this is my first time come back to church in years and I needed this because I used to have the spark of Christ burning inside of me and I don't know what happened I just got away from him and but they brought me along tonight and I'm so glad I came because I want to be back I want to be back and close to God and have him stirring those sparks inside my heart again like I remember when I was younger. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that there's any number of you who are, you're like, I think that's me too. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't think he ever even came into my life yet. And if you're not certain about it, he probably never did. But today he could and he would. And so my question is, would you open the door of your heart 
to him now. I want for you to know him, the light of the world living inside of you. Not just the light of the world, but the light of your world. That's what I want for you to know this Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world for the hope that you came to give us, for the grace you came to show us, for the forgiveness that you pour out upon us, for the purpose that you infuse to our lives, the new outlook when things just the day before looked so hopeless, but when we have you inside of us, the perspective changes and now we can see not as blind people, but as people who see there's still dazzling hope because we can see you. I pray, Lord, first for the group of people maybe who are here today and, and sort of like that lady that I was talking to after the earlier services who said, I just, I just, I don't know how I got so far away from God, but I'm so glad they brought me back tonight. This is what I needed to hear and this is what I want to have happening in my soul again because I remember, I remember, maybe you remember when you were younger, maybe you went to a camp or young life or something that, 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 and the spark was lit. But then maybe you went off to college or you got married or you just got busy and, and you got away from it and maybe tonight's the night. You say, I want to come back, Lord. Would you come and stir those those the sparks within me and refire that flame within me that once burned hot and restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then some of you, you're here and you're saying, I've never crossed that line of faith in the first place. And so I'd invite you even now while I'm praying aloud, you can just borrow some words sort of like this and you just tell them yourself. It's not complicated. You just say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my soul. By the power of your Holy Spirit, come inside of me and forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness and fill me up full with your Holy Spirit and teach me then in the days ahead what it means to follow you because I want to be one of yours. And I want you to be the light of my world. We pray all of these things in your strong name, Jesus.